this is not some small-time uh, criminal. He's committed serious offenses. Really uh, powerful character, and he does not like people to uh, go against him. He's imprisoned in an extra-secure prison, in complete isolation. It does feel like they're afraid that he's gonna he's gonna escape. This is something different. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs, and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. Mob boss Ridwan Taji was a fugitive for years as he terrorised the Netherlands and hid out in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates, where he's accused of directing the murder of rivals. Part of a super cartel made up of Daniel Kinahan's Irish Mafia, the Italian Camorra, and a Bosnian organised crime outfit. Taji and members of his Moroccan mob now stand trial for multiple murders in the biggest case the Netherlands has ever seen. In the past week, Taji has stood in the dock, while few reporters can access the courtroom known as the bunker. Renowned NRC crime journalist Jean Mayos has been there, and he tells me about the little guy who's causing a whole lot of trouble. In episode 17 of Crime World, we told the story of Ridwan Taji and his links to the Kinahan organization. Today, in a special Crime World Extra podcast, Jan describes what it's like inside the bunker. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. You have been to court and you have finally seen Ridwan Taji. Um, Is he what you expected? Yeah, you know, when they put him on the international uh, Interpol list for most wanted people, there was one photo and he, he was sort of looking cheerfully in a camera. Made in, uh, it was a selfie. And uh, later on, we got this photo where uh, after he was arrested and he looked like this angry old man with a big beard. But uh, when we saw him in court, he more or less looked like that initial photo. Uh, only a little bit older and with a short beard, but uh, not as uh, wild as uh, he looked after he was uh, arrested. Okay. And he had some sort of a nickname that he was the little one or something. He's obviously small in stature, is he? Yeah, he's uh, he's small. So he's, he's, a, he's a little guy. I do have to say, because of corona measures, it's really, really hard to see what's going on in the court. So, okay. in the courtroom, because we are, uh, uh, you know, there's a limited amount of reporters there. And if you're in the same building, then you can see a little bit of him. But there are screens everywhere, you know, those those COVID screens to, uh, to protect you. And we're behind glass and we're like 20, 30 meters away. So it is quite hard to really uh, feel what's going on uh, but at the same time you can tell that he's a very assertive person he's very confident and he's he does not like uh, uh, people to uh, go against him so even also against the, the the judges and against the lawyers he's quite um, assertive really uh, powerful character and not being used that somebody goes against his will it sounds like a huge theater and an amazing amount of security for one little guy which obviously he's not um 
but are you used to this? Did you cover the William Hollider trial in that bunker yourself? Yes, uh, twice. So, uh, but I have to say this is something different. So the first day in the, the, the extra secure uh, uh, courthouse, at one point I was waiting at around 7.30 in the morning and the case was going to start at 10. And um, around 7.30, there was this helicopter high in the sky. All of a sudden there was two drones. They, were, they came up from a building and then we heard from far away a second chopper coming in. And it was like a, a chopper of our um, the military police. And it sort of, we saw it coming and then it sort of made a U behind us. And then it was hanging right at the entrance of that, uh, the secure uh, uh, building. And there was uh, a military police with a gun in his hand, uh, ready to shoot. And then there's these three Range Rovers and they come in full speed. One of them stops right in front of the entrance of the garage to the secure building. The second one goes in without slowing down. And then the third one blocks uh, the entrance so nobody can go afterwards. And that was probably uh, uh, Taji Taji uh, coming in. This type of measures with two choppers, two drones, Police within the vicinity of at least a kilometer and a kilometer and a half, you know, uh, police on motorcycles watching out at crossroads and stuff like that. I had never seen that before. Did you think for a second he was going to be escaped? I think that's what they're afraid of, to be honest, because uh, yesterday there was another session where there, there's a crown witness in the case and some other uh, suspects were allowed to uh, question him for a day. So Tashi was not there. And then it seemed like the security measures were a lot less strict. So I have, yeah, I, I, I obviously I don't know for sure because uh, whatever you ask about security, they will uh, never answer it. But it does feel like they're afraid that he's gonna he's gonna escape. So they also he's you have to figure that he's imprisoned in an extra secure prison in complete isolation where they have built like a special room where they can interrogate him where the police can interrogate him. And then uh, if they uh, uh, bring him to court, he's in the south of the Netherlands, about 100, 120 kilometers away from the uh, courthouse. So they uh, they drive him to a small airfield. Then the chopper flies him to, uh, close to Schiphol somewhere, the international airport. And then the last maybe 20 kilometers or so, they drive in these metal plated Range Rover. So it's, yeah, it's quite something, to be honest. Extraordinary. So the first few days there, which you've covered, have been, it's a kind of pre-trial hearing. Is that essentially it, that his lawyer gets to question Nabil B, the chief witness, and whatever is acceptable then goes forward in trial? Is that it? Um, no, it works a little bit differently here. So these are basically, uh, so Nabil has been questioned by the police. Then he has been questioned by the defense in a secure setting with a, uh, an investigative judge. So there is an investigative judge. It's a different person than the judges who uh, who rule his case. And uh, that judge basically uh, oversees the proceedings and makes sure that uh, every everything is legally correctly. And there the defense, as well as the DAs, can ask questions. And then he has to uh, uh, show up at trial, and then they are allowed to question him publicly. 
uh, and uh, you know, judges already have decided that his testimony is admissible. And now it's judge. It's it's for the judges who have to rule on the, the case of the seventeen suspects, uh, whether they think he's reliable, whether they think what he says is true, and um, uh, whether that that his statements his uh, can be used as evidence against uh, uh, the defendants. So we don't have this like two tire system that I, I know they have in the UK. I don't know if you have it as well. But it works differently here. But anyway, so it's it's really the public part of the case, and um, yeah, they, I mean, and and lawyers of, of the the suspects, of course, try to uh, see if he uh, if he lied in the past, and uh, yeah, the, the normal harsh question is, this is not some small time uh, criminal. He's 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 committed serious offences. Taji has tried very hard to shut him up already. Um, including uh, his uh, suspected involvement in the murder of a criminal lawyer, um, Dirk Wurstrom. How has he been with him in the courtroom? I presume they're in close proximity. Has he tried to threaten him or, you know, has he has he given him any particular looks across the courtroom? Can you see that? No, we cannot really see that. But what we've uh, so his his lawyer has been uh, questioning uh, uh, the crown witness for a whole day past Friday, mm. and uh, during that day, Taji barely said anything. Just in the beginning, they were they were you know uh, they were sort of finger pointing at each other, and there was a little bit of uh, of uh, yeah, you know, uh, two men trying to. Uh, there was sort of like two soccer players in an intense match, if, if that's a good analogy. And then, yeah. but after that, he was quiet for the whole day. And in the end, he said, yeah, I was instructed by my lawyer to not say anything or ask anything. But he was looking at the Crown Witness. I heard from people who were in the courtroom, so they did really see it well. And he was looking straight at him for the whole day. And mm. what you, what I've experienced from, you know, his Taji's behavior in in the court, he can be a, a, an intimidating uh, figure. So I can imagine that, you know, uh, what has been going on in that court, if you were at close proximity, I, I, I there was some electrifying tension. The way it sounds, I mean, it's it's hard to 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 say because I wasn't there. Nobody was there that I, you know, and no journalist was there. But from the stories I heard from inside, there was quite a tense uh, atmosphere. And obviously, uh, one of the well, two of the murders that uh, Taji and his group are suspected of. One of them is this Crown witness's brother. And the other is his lawyer, his criminal lawyer, who was who was shot dead in 2019, I think. Um, there's a lot between them and a lot of history. What sort of things are being spoken about in the courtroom so far? Well, to correct you, uh, there, there's a common mistake <coughs> or a common misunderstanding, to, to be honest. Um, uh, the, the murder of the brother of the Crown Witness and the lawyer of the Crown Witness, they are not uh, being... Uh, 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 Tashi is not being uh, prosecuted for them yet. Right. So they are. They are. I mean, they're obviously. Uh, they. They. It's a dark cloud above this whole trial, but Tashi is is tried for six murders, not including the brother and the lawyer. 
So those are separate cases. And so far, Taji has not been accused of them and will not be prosecuted for them. And what they're really focusing on now is uh, one murder in 2016 uh, that was committed in the, in the center of the country in Utrecht. And besides that, <clears throat> there is a lot of general questioning going on. So the court has decided we'll do the general questioning first. So, for instance, about the deal, about his history, about how he got to know uh, Taji and a number of his uh, companions, uh, what kind of business they were in together, uh, what, how their relationship was, that kind of questioning. That's what's going on. And then um, the Crown witness had, they, they found two telephones uh, in his uh, possession. And uh, in the Netherlands, you're not, and you're not allowed to have a phone when you're in jail. Uh, also not when you're a Crown witness. So the, the DA's office did not know that he had those two phones. So there is a lot of things going on about why did you have those phones? What, with whom did you communicate? Why was this necessary? Why did you hide them? And not uh, unimportantly, he lied about it under oath initially to the judges. So that's the kind of issues that are being debated right now. The trial will continue in, in May and June, and then we're going to go into this separate killings and or, or uh, attempts to kill uh, people, and they will do it case by case. And then the Crown witness have, will have to come back and answer questions about those cases. And then uh, next to his statements, there is a lot of evidence that uh, that that comes out of encrypted uh, phones. In these, this case, they are PGP telephones. PGP is pretty good privacy. It's a it's a encryption protocol, and uh, the encryption was broken uh, by the Dutch law enforcement of two of these suppliers, and they provide the biggest chunk of the evidence against Taji and his uh, his uh, uh, fellow suspects. Well, we look forward to hearing what comes out of this trial and uh, obviously our interest here is his connections with the Irish Mafia, Daniel Kinahan's Irish Mafia. We know that Taji and Kinahan um, and other groupings got together to form, I presume we could be confident in saying Europe's first super cartel. Um, are you expecting any evidence on regarding that, his relationship with other crime groups? Well, there is some meetings that were uh, reported between, uh, you know, about that 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 European yeah, super cartel. Taji was at the wedding of uh, one of the members of the Kinahan family, I think, in two thousand seventeen or two thousand eighteen. I don't think that you know it might be in the context of the case to put it in in a broader perspective, but in terms of evidence, it's not relevant because it's really about the murders and. The whole cocaine uh, trafficking thing is not on trial. They're, they 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 see this context, but they will not be prosecuted for uh, uh, cocaine trafficking. So I'm not sure if we'll hear a lot about the Kinahans or you know the the the, the Italian Comora. We've had another case because Taji in the Netherlands he's seen as part of a of a, a group of three. And one of them is uh, Naufel Fassi, 
He was arrested in Ireland in a safe house, presumably uh, owned by the Kinahans or rented by the Kinahans. And there is a third one, and we call him Rico from Chile. And uh, this Rico guy, there has been a lot of connection with uh, one guy, an Italian uh, um, mobster from the Comora. His name is Raffaele Imperiale. And he's, so, you know, the three people in, in the Netherlands and, and then the, the Kinahans and, and the Comora, they are seen as part of this European super cartel. Uh, and the question is whether we're going to hear more about their dealings in a separate trial. That's, and sometimes I think that might come out of all these investigations that have been going on. And I'm sure uh, that you're watching uh, the developments in Dubai the way I'm watching them, because it's presumed, it's presumed that a lot of these people are uh, hiding out in Dubai. There's stories now that they're fleeing to Turkey. Uh, and maybe we'll get at one point we'll be together in the courtroom. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. We're watching very carefully from uh, the comfort of our own countries, all right, as the goings on in Dubai. Jan, thank you so much for that update and we'll come back to you maybe over the course of the next couple of months as uh, further evidence comes out. Thank you very much. All right. From sundayworld.com, this is Crime World, produced by Ian Mullaney. Available online and on all podcast platforms. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review. And if you want to get in touch, check out our Facebook page, Crime World with Nicola Talent.